Hello, everybody. This is the Founder Hour Podcast. I'm your co-host, Pat. And on today's episode, we sit down with Katarina Schneider. Kat is the founder and CEO of Ritual, which is a health technology company that is reinventing the vitamin. Their number one priority is traceability so customers know where all the ingredients come from and why it's there. We spoke with Kat about her early days immigrating with her family to the U.S. from the former Soviet Union and living in a welfare hotel in Brooklyn, working at Lehman Brothers on Wall Street during the crash of 2008, leaving her job as a venture capitalist to start Ritual when she was four months pregnant, her advice for entrepreneurs and what she thinks is the number one skill every entrepreneur should have, the issues she sees with the vitamin industry and where it's headed, and much more. We started off the conversation by learning a bit about what Young Cat was like. Young Cat was actually born uh, in a different country. I was born in the former Soviet Union. And my family moved to the U.S. when we were uh, refugees in 1989, um, and really had no money, but a lot of a lot of grit and conviction. We lived in a in a welfare hotel in Brooklyn, and um, my parents and myself we barely spoke English, but quickly learned English. My my mom ended up going to business school or learning English, then going to business school and working on Wall Street. My dad uh, became uh, an engineer and then eventually started his own software company, financial software company. So I was just always incredibly inspired um, by my parents. And they were, you know, by our family and friends were told to not kind of take those kind of risks. They were told to to um, do more kind of predictable jobs just to make money, but they took the risks. And, and um, really, you know, as a kid, I went from being super poor growing up in Brooklyn to, um, you know, having a stable life and, and realizing that I too could achieve my dreams and what I wanted to do. In, in my future. I have so many questions, but I guess my first one uh, specifically would be, you know, we, we're also, so we're, our parents are immigrants too, and they came here um, from, you know, different areas. Um, and I'm curious for you um, or for your parents, like, so it sounds like they, they had to come here and completely start, start all over. Like, what did they do previously, like in, in, in the Soviet Union? Um, and were they able to, you know, parlay that into anything here or did they just have to start from scratch? No, they parlayed it. I mean, both of them had mathematics backgrounds. They're both mathematicians. Um, and my dad was doing, I think, a bit of engineering in um, in the in the Soviet Union. Former. Uh, now it's like we lived in Ukraine, and then it turned to Russia. It's just like kind of a confusing place. I don't know where you guys. Where did you mm-hmm. guys come from? We're so we're <laughs> Armenian, so we're familiar with all it all. We know it all. Yeah. Yeah, it's a kind of a hot mess. Uh, but yeah, so my mom was nothing hot about it. Right. Exactly. Uh, especially right now. Uh, um, yeah. So my mom was a mathematician, but a lot of, a lot of, uh, Eastern European women became estheticians and manicurists and kind of just, you know, and some are excellent at, at that work and are, kind of, I think, destined to do that. My mom wanted to, um, she's just really interested in finance. And so she ended up working in finance in Wall Street and kind of going against the grain and, 
you know, just really inspiring to me was just how, um, how great of a mother she was too, and she is. Uh, it wasn't just, you know, she would work really late hours, she worked on the trading floor, but she would always have dinner for us and, and she was just always engaged. Um, so it was, it was kind of my first taste of being so close with someone who was balancing everything, um, which yeah. is something that I've always been trying to do myself with three kids. Right. And, and around this time when you first moved here, like, was that, was there like a big wave of people coming uh, to America from the Soviet Union during that time? Or was your, your situation a little bit different, like more specific? No, there, there was a wave. There was, um, there was a lot of, of um, kind of Eastern European Jews leaving the Soviet Union. And there was an arrangement with Gorbachev um, that allowed us to leave. And, uh, and there was an organization that helped us move. We moved to Austria, we moved to Italy, and then we moved to the U S. Um, but, but we got really lucky. Mm-hmm. Kat, did you recognize what your situation was like when you guys first moved here in terms of, you know, you talk about being poor, right? As a kid, did you know that? Did you feel that? Yeah, I, I think kids are so smart, especially when <laughs> around the age of four, you're so perceptive. Uh, my daughter is so perceptive. Um, and I I remember, and I was told this by my parents all the time, I'm told this, that I saw a doll in the window and I said, when my dad gets a job, he's going to buy me that doll. Um, so I was really aware of it. And I think it, um, I think it impacted me in a, in a major way still today. I feel uh, incredibly gritty and, and um, you know, I'm always trying to find the best price for everything. <laughs> I'll not buy something if it's not on sale. Um, right. I always feel like someone's trying to screw me over. Uh, and so <laughs> yeah. there's this kind of innate kind of immigrant mentality that just doesn't go away. Um, n- no matter how, how much my life changed later on in life, um, I think just being raised by by immigrants and also just this kind of lack of attachment to money too, which I think is I'm realizing is really different than than a lot of my peers or or, or even um, people that I've had relationships with, where you know all my all the money I have in my bank account could go away tomorrow and I have almost zero connection to it. Because because I saw my life in so many different ways, I think growing up, I don't know if you guys feel that so, same way as immigrants. Yeah, no, I, I totally I totally get it. And like, I'm curious. Other so obviously, money is a motivating factor for a lot of people. But for you, what other other than that? Like, what was it? Maybe when you were younger, like, was there something that you envisioned, um, or you wanted to pursue, or or envision like the rest of your life would look like, or what you wanted to be when you're older, um, anything like that. I, I had so many ideas of what I wanted to be, but I never, I mean, none, none of them ended up coming true. I mean, at one point I wanted to be a doctor and then I got so scared about from seeing blood. <laughs> um, and and then I, I was really creative and artistic and, and I loved um, painting and and sculpting and thought I wanted to go to art school and I didn't, I didn't 
you know, I even bothered uh, attempting to get into RISD, but I went to Brown where you could take classes at RISD. Um, and so I always, I was really creative. Um, but both my parents were, you know, in the finance realm, both were mathematicians. Um, I think that made me also really uh disciplined and good in, in mathematics myself. So I, I was excited to study math in, in college and but I always had this creative side to my to um to my mind that I never really tapped into until I started a company. Did you ever think early on when you saw your parents, you know, building wealth and, you know, going off and, you know, being more successful than they were obviously when they came to America. Is that something that you knew you wanted? Like that you knew that you didn't want to be poor. You didn't want to be in the position you were in when you first arrived. And the reason I ask is because a lot of times, a lot of folks are dealt a hand, right? I think we were talking about this on a recent podcast as well. And, you know, whether it's, you know, because of their family or because of their environment or whatever the reason is. And they think that because they're dealt that hand, that's just kind of how they have to live. Like, you know, whether that's they were born into a rich family or a poor family or a healthy, sick family, whatever the case may be, right? But they don't really always take the effort to make something of themselves or choose their own path and, you know, maybe be the black sheep, let's call it. You know, how did you decide, and again, to get out of that and to get on this track and, and why? Yeah, so... I, by the way, starting a company, especially in, in the vitamin space was shocking to my family. <laughs> um, it was, I was four months pregnant and, you know, I call my mom up and I'm like, I'm going to, at the time I was in venture capital. So I was investing in startups, um, running Troy Carter's investment fund, uh, great entrepreneur and incredible human being. He, he invested in over 70 companies, everything from Uber, Dropbox, Warby Parker, Spotify. And um, I just, I loved working with him and then got pregnant, four months pregnant, calling my my, my parents up, you know, uh, and, and saying, hey, I'm going to start a vitamin company. They were just shocked and, and were like, you know, why are you doing this? Um, your husband's also not my, my, my husband's an entrepreneur. He was starting a company at the same time. I remember them visiting us when we were both in the throes of early entrepreneurship, two different companies. And they were just, I think, just really confused why we wanted this life for ourselves. Um, but, but I really couldn't imagine myself doing anything else. Um, I always knew I wanted to start something but I, I didn't really know what it was going to be. I definitely want to get to this part about like starting ritual, um, but kind of to take it back, it sounds like you said, you know, you always wanted to start something. Um, when did that, when did that bug, I guess, get in you? Like, did you, did you feel that way? Like in high school, did you feel that way in college? I know you ended up working on wall street yourself after college. Um, is, was this something that was like brewing in your mind? Maybe not Spiderman specifically, but just starting a business like from that, that period. Yeah, I always knew that I enjoyed um, just kind of being, I guess, in charge. <laughs> I don't know if that's a good or bad thing, but I, 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 I always, 
Did you, you have know, any bad experiences with like bosses? Um, that's a funny one because they probably listen to this, so I don't want to say. But um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I've always worked for CEOs. I mean, after Lehman Brothers, so I went into investment banking after college because that was the thing to do uh, post <laughs> studying math and economics. And at the time, I, I worked at Lehman Brothers, which then ended up in the biggest bank failure in history. Um, and then I, I worked for a great boss at a startup doing strategy and ops. Um, and, and then that, that company sold. And then I started advising CEOs in entertainment. So I worked for the CEO of Shine, Emiliano, who's a um, great guy. And then for over a year, about two years, I worked for um, Lucien Grange, who's the CEO of Universal Music. And that role was inc- incredibly entrepreneurial, um, where he, he really kind of gave me the reins um, to to think about things um, holistically. I, I worked on the Spotify deal, helping bring Spotify to the U.S. Um, and it was kind of my first taste of like, hey, I think I can do this. I was in the boardroom uh, with you know all men <laughs> in their fifties. Uh, talking and presenting to Vivendi, which was the public company um, that owned Universal Music, and flying all over the world with Lucian, who's still the CEO of the largest record company in the world. And I was his right-hand chief of staff and head of um, global innovation there. Um, And I was, what, 24, 25? Um, And so seeing kind of these incredible all-male um, entrepreneurs operate. I, I was, I kind of got this confidence that I'm like, Hey, I could do this. <laughs> I, I, I know, I, I feel like I know, um, kind of the answer or the direction we should go in sometimes or all the time really before other people do. And, and I think I can make the right decisions, um, if I started my own company, but I didn't know what it was going to be. I didn't have any ideas. Um, but I, I knew that, um, if I did that, I, I, I had that confidence, which I think is really the hardest thing to have to, to start something. Where do you think that comes from? I mean, was it just from experience and being in those roles and sort of seeing like how you could, I guess, stack up or compare it to other entrepreneurs or other people that you might be working for? Like, did you have to go through that or was that something that you think you had before you even worked at these companies? I think, I think I kind of, it was training. It was training. The co- it was almost confidence training, I would say. And I got confidence training by being around really successful CEOs and realizing that the decisions they were making, I could make myself. And that I, many times in my head, I would, I, you know, I'd be like, oh, I would do this. And, it, and if they did this, it would play out the right way. Um, and over time, I, I, I saw that the decisions that I that I was making in my head <laughs> were the right ones. Um, and so I think over time, I got a lot of confidence. Um, and I and I also think I was just really lucky to work with incredible um, CEOs that became mentors to me that that also helped build my confidence. Um, Troy was probably one of is one of the best kind of confidence boosters out there. He's, he was an artist manager, he managed Lady Gaga, a bunch of other artists. 
and you know classically was incredible at building their confidence and then also was incredible at building founders confidence and everyone that worked for him um so he 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 kind of also gave me that push and when i told him i was starting something he was incredibly supportive of that cat you talk about post college uh sorry post yeah post college and uh you know up until 25 years old having all these jobs where you're literally working with CEOs of top companies, not even just like, you know, a 10 person family office. I mean, how are you given those opportunities? I mean, a lot of 21 to 25 year olds or even 31 to 35 year olds aren't in that position ever, right? Or ever in their lifetime, in their career, they'll end up in those roles. Uh, I mean, what did you do? Like, wh- how did you get there? Like, right? We have a lot of young folks and young professionals listening that I'm sure would have or would love to be in those positions or, you know, try to get into those positions. Give us some, you know, uh, not only advice, but some insight into how that all happened. Yeah. I think I learned early on that it was all about relationships. Um, When I started in investment banking, I was terrible at it. I was probably the worst, you know, investment banking M&A analyst that has ever touched Excel. Um, I could tell that was not meant for me. You're the one that crashed Lehman. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. If I had something to do with Lehman crashing, I wouldn't be surprised. (laughs) I probably miscalculated something. I mean, I think people are still surprised that I studied math in college. Um, I I can't even like add things in my head. Um, But early on, I I just realized it was all about relationships. and, And so for me, there was actually so it, it all became a series of relationships that led to one 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 job to the next. So I got a job with the CEO of, of um, Shine uh, because I was working with a woman who was friends with the C, who, whose husband was friends with the CEO at a previous company. I got the role at Universal Music because um, actually my boss at Lehman, his wife was working at Universal Music and was like, hey, you should check out this role that we have for (laughs) kind of a chief of staff type role for the CEO. I'm going to put in a good word. Um, And then I I met Troy because um, Gaga was one of the biggest artists at at Universal. Um, So I think word got around that I was, you know, working for Lucian and and, um, Troy was actually close with my husband as well. So it, it was all kind of a series of connections and then also fundraising. Um, the first check into the business was somebody that I met um, at on this entrepreneurial trip to another country that I'd known for years. So it, it's all about it was all about kind of maintaining relationships and friendships that that I met yeah. at all different stages in my career. Yeah, because what's interesting is that. Um, that a lot of people, I think, especially when they're younger, they have this like one track mind of this is what I want to be. And, and they kind of go after labels. Um, like I want to be an investment banker, right? Like I'm just, I'm going to go work anywhere for anybody, but I want to be an investment banker versus, you know, how can I work for the best? You know, whether it's investment banking or whatever, how can I work for the best and learn from the best? Because oftentimes you don't really know what the rest of your life is going to look like and what you, what career or what you might be good at. Um, and it sounds like for you, I mean, I don't know if it was like a little bit of both, because it sounds like, you know, you you built those relationships and things just sort of aligned. But at the same time, did you ever have the mindset of, I want to just work for the best and I want to learn from the best? And it doesn't really matter exactly what I'm doing. 
Yeah, I think that that shifted for me um, post investment banking. I, I, you know, Lehman went under. People lost a lot of people in my group lost their jobs, their houses, their everything, their their livelihoods. Um, and it it was working in investment banking M and A was the north star while I was in college, and seeing all of that go away, um, I wanted to do something that was fulfilling that that um that I got to work around people that I really cared about and I think for me that was the big transition moment um I got into things like spiritual psychology I was you know um really understanding more about health and and and, and mental health um and so the for me that big there was a really big shift where it was that next role that I took, which was at a startup, whereas a lot of investment bankers would, you know, went into private equity or uh, growth equity and finance after the, a lot of the, the banks had failures. Um, I actually kind of zagged a little bit um, and worked at a at a um, at a ad tech company, just totally random. But it was working with a really great boss, and and I learned a lot from him. Kat, you talk about relationships, and I know it's something that a lot of folks stress in college and post-grad and even in your career. And I mean, it's all about relationships, right? It's, you know, the saying, it's who you know, not what you know, or it's who knows you, not who know who you know, right? Whatever. But at one point, you know, the relationships help you get somewhere, and then you have to actually know what you're doing with that relationship, right? Whether it's in a sales position where... You can or business development, right? You get that person to sign up with you, but you gotta you gotta service them. You gotta give them, you know, what they signed up for. Or, you know, if you hire someone and you've told them all these things, like you gotta keep your end of the bargain, right? And it comes to this kind of conversation that I always have about like skills that people have and that skills that they can build up, right? It's easy. Like for me, like one of the biggest struggles early on in my career was like I can sell, Pat can sell, like we're good at talking. But at one point, you got to be able to do the job as well if you want to move up and get ahead and you know do bigger and better things. How did you learn some of those skills, and what are the skills that you took out of you know your first few jobs that were able to transfer into you being a better entrepreneur? Well, the number one skill is is just the relationships. To be quite honest, or how to maintain and 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 build relationships and not have fear over someone being a lot more senior than, than you or being a CEO or being a C-level executive when you're an analyst or a junior person is like, how do you feel comfortable to go and, and, and ask someone for coffee or mentorship um, that's a couple steps ahead of you? So that that's something that um, I feel like was – one of the biggest skills that that I learned, um, you know, eventually I was in my mid early twenties, sitting in a boardroom with all C level executives of one of the major companies in the world, and only female in the room, and feeling confident and, um, you know, knowing that I'm adding some kind of value there was <laughs> was a great skill. Um, I can tell you that I learned how to build financial models <laughs> in my investment banking days, which uh, really helped me understand how companies were built, the P&Ls behind them, 
Um, and that, that definitely like structured how I thought about business, but nothing compares to, um, that confidence and ability to, to form relationships with people that are kind of more, even more senior than you at, at companies and, and being open to those relationships. Given all the different experiences you've had, you know, Wall Street and then startups and then, you know, venture capital, music industry, um, what is, I guess, what would you say is perhaps one of the be best career paths to take for folks who are entrepreneurial or want to be entrepreneurs, but perhaps don't have an idea that they really want to pursue at the moment or, or anything like that? But I guess, you know, they, they, they eventually see themselves running a business. Um, is there anything in, like specific or, or do you think every every job could be there could be something that like could be learned. I think joining a company that you feel passionate about their mission and, and, and doing that in the early stages is, is priceless. It doesn't matter what the role is. doesn't matter if you're an executive assistant, doesn't matter if you're um, an analyst or, you know, a data scientist, um, just being part of that 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 vibe early on will help you be a better entrepreneur in the future. And um, and and what's interesting with Ritual is I would say that half of the people that I you know have spoken to or interviewed for so many different roles that, at our company. All tell me that they want to be entrepreneurs in the future, but they don't know what they want to do yet. And that to me is actually one of the most um, exciting answers that someone can give because especially in the early stages of a company, you know, even though we're a bit later stage now, um, you've got to be entrepreneurial in those roles because no one else is going to be doing that job. So joining a company in the early stages is it's probably the best thing you can do and the best way you can learn. And you know, and, and then I would say, if you have a great idea, just go for it. Um, a lot of people wait too long and don't have the confidence or they're like, hey, you know, I need a co-founder or I need, or you know, a lot of excuses for why they shouldn't start something. But if, if you're really passionate about something, um, the best way you can, and you have the idea, the best way you can learn how to be a good entrepreneur is actually just being an entrepreneur. Did you have any other ideas like throughout your, I guess, like, a formal like career before you started ritual that you like pursued oh, yeah. even though yeah what were some I've, of those I've things had, i have a different idea every single day it's kind of annoying actually from my own mental sanity but nothing is nothing to the point where i was like you know i'm gonna risk our uh foundation as a family to go and 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 start something and risk everything and and Ritual was the first time where I felt like I couldn't do anything else. I couldn't think about anything else. I had to do it. So you're at Adam Factory, which is uh, the firm Troy Carter started. What did you see? What it, what was the opportunity that you saw where where you decided this is big enough for me to take that risk, especially where you were in your life, you know, having uh, kids and or you said you were pregnant uh, when you left. Um, what what was the opportunity? The opportunity I saw was to reinvent the vitamin industry from the ground up. Um, I I was four months pregnant. I was taking a prenatal. I was looking for a new prenatal. 
Um, I knew I needed to take a prenatal. Um, and yet I couldn't find one that I trusted. I couldn't find a prenatal that had clean, traceable nutrients, but then was also scientifically backed. And I could I just couldn't find a brand that I trusted. And and I called up, you know, so many friends and said, Hey, what vitamin are you taking? And literally nobody could remember the brand. Nature something, yellow bottle, brown cap. Uh, And it was just shocking to me because at this time, this was over five years ago, most of us cared about where our food was coming from, where the products we were putting in our bodies were coming from or what was in them, especially if we were pregnant. But yet something we were ingesting every single day um, like a vitamin, people didn't really think twice about, and it was. It was I was about shocking. to say it sounds. It seems like even at that time, people were moving away from, you know, these big vitamin brands and going more like, uh, what's the word? Like, I don't know, natural things or you know, some holistic medicine and different types of uh, alternatives to like these big brand vitamins. Is that right? I mean, from what I remember. Yeah, I think. The idea of functional medicine, the idea of preventative medicine was definitely more kind of on the forefront. But, you know, simply put, it, it's most of us need to be taking a, a multivitamin. We should all, you know, if we're pregnant, most doctors would recommend a prenatal vitamin. So there's nothing kind of alternative that you can do there. Um, and so it was really just about filling the gaps in, in our diets um, at different stages of our lives. And, and it was just shocking to me that, yeah, you know, maybe there were some companies that were going into different herbs or, you know, things like kind of more holistic, but there was nothing fundamentally being created or different around really basic foundational health around filling gaps in, in your diet. Um, which was really, you know, the base of everything. Um, so, and a prenatal was was really the uh, was it was just surprising to me. Um, so I decided to to uh, leave Adam Factory, leave being a venture partner with Troy, um, and and and. In the beginning, the vision was around prenatal vitamins, but it quickly shifted as I kind of learned about the industry. I hired scientists and realized that the problem or how I wanted to solve the problem was was bigger than than I imagined. So, Kat, tell us a little bit about you know the early days of Ritual, and you know I know you said you were pregnant uh, with your first child, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you don't necessarily have, or you didn't necessarily have a background in health or science. You know, you were more of a finance and venture capital uh, professional. Um, but clearly, you know, you were confident enough, and that usually is enough to start something. But I mean, you were young, right? Like you were super young when starting this, and you had a young family, and um, sure, perhaps not as much of a risk as perhaps starting a new business now with uh, three kids, but a risk nonetheless. Um, Talk to us about how you came to that decision and what that was like and 
you know, the conversations with, you know, your husband or other family members, friends, etc., to take that leap of faith and actually start this thing, right? I think the hardest part of any startup is the start, right? Just starting, just even deciding that I'm going to do this and, you know, not making the excuses anymore of like, oh, well, I don't know enough about, you know, food. I don't know enough about filing an LLC. I don't have enough money, right? Give us a background about that whole situation. Yeah, I agree. I think the hardest part is just starting and having the confidence to start. And clearly, I I, I knew that I wanted to be an entrepreneur my whole life, but I didn't start anything until that moment. So, you know, having that extra boost um, happened to me during that time. I don't know whether it was the pregnancy and the hormones, <laughs> but uh, it definitely, I definitely felt a lot more confident to start something more than ever before. And I have to say the conversation with my husband was really interesting <laughs> because we were about to start a family and he also just started his company service um, right around that time within weeks. So we, we started companies around the same time we did not have any kind of savings or anything like that. I was actually more of the stable career um, person in our relationship. He was an entrepreneur his whole life. Um, it's I believe service was like his fifth or sixth company that he started. And actually just he was my biggest cheerleader and he was my biggest support system during that time. And, and I was scared that you know, I, I felt like I needed a medical co-founder or a scientific co-founder um, for people to take me seriously. And he was like, no, you don't need a co-founder. You can hire for the roles that you need um, when you start something. You don't, you don't, not everyone needs to be <laughs> a co-founder. If you don't have that person that that is like a rock for you, you can find them and you can hire for the, for the, the holes that you have. Um, and for me, that was definitely on the scientific side because I knew that it, I wanted this to be a science-backed company and I wanted our first hire to be a you know world-class scientist. So I hired for that as, as our first um, first role. And he was he was absolutely right and um, gave me kind of that boost, that early boost of confidence to go and start something and also just be like, hey, you know, it's going to be fine. We'll figure it out. Did, did you have to go out and raise money before hiring your first hire? Yes. So I I raised a small uh, round of $1.3 million. I mean, some would consider that small. Some might consider that big. I don't even know anymore. I used to be a Series so, A back in the day. Yeah, a long time ago. That was a Series <laughs> A. Now that's like an angel pre-seed. Pre -seed. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's pre, what I call pre, it. See. Yeah. Yeah, it's like a thought round. Yeah, and, and we've raised now uh, just over $50 million. And it's it's just creating products from the ground up that are um, scientifically backed. We now have a clinical study with a major university. Investing in R&D is, is very costly. It wasn't yeah. my idea. Didn't Reason, just I, 
Yeah, oh, sorry. The reason I ask is because to your point, like with the, to the feelings that you were thinking, I think were valid. I mean, obviously, I agree with your husband that you know you don't you don't absolutely need someone who's a technical person or a medical person or depending on what you're starting, but it definitely helps. And you can maybe speak from your experience as a venture capitalist, like when you have that person in the room that perhaps maybe for the venture capitalists or angel investors who are investing, like giving them that peace of mind of you know, we don't have to like start from like zero. Like we have someone that at least maybe understands the technicalities behind it that could give us a little bit of a boost where, you know, perhaps uh, it's not as big of a risk. Like it kind of diminishes the risk a little bit perhaps. So I guess for you, like what was your experience pitching to investors without that person? Um, And, and like, I guess, I mean, I think that obviously there are certain things that you could do as a solo entrepreneur that perhaps you're not a technical person to compensate for that. But how did you go about it? Yeah, I I think in that really early stage where it's almost like an the entrepreneur has the idea that you know the idea is going to change so much and it might be a totally different company, which is very much the case with Ritual. We were called Needles <laughs> in our first stage. Um, and any, by the way, we didn't launch a prenatal until many years later. Actually, the prenatal wasn't even our first product. And um, just looking at the brand, you would never know that we saw a prenatal. But um, yeah, I, I, the company was called Needles. I was pitching it. Um, I had no idea what I was doing. Uh, and I, I think investors, especially at that phase, are really just investing in the founder. And, you know, I almost believe that in those really early stages, if you're investing in this concept and you believe that it's not really going to change or this whole team that's around it, um, it's a little naive and premature. And and I I think some of the best investors that I even even talked to have the pleasure to have friendships with Mm -hmm. are really investing in the founders early on. Obviously, you had put in a lot of work throughout your career to build those relationships. But I'm curious, like, if if you hadn't, would it have made it um, a lot more difficult for you to to raise that initial round? Like you mentioned, you know, investors investing in the founder. Was it that person, like specifically that your track record and where you had worked and who you had worked for and the relationships you had built that really, I guess, tied into that, or or what, did it play a smaller role? Yeah, I think for some of some of that round, there were really close relationships that I had. I will say that when I went to my network of investors um, that I, you know, relationships that I built while I was was an investor, they were really confused why I was going into the vitamin category. um, Besides the fact that it was a $36 billion (laughs) category at the time uh, that was broken. And I got a lot of no's. I got a lot of no's. um, and, And really all you need is like one or two yeses. So I definitely went through probably like 50 or so no's of people that I had relationships with. So, you know, I think that that hurt a lot. And I'm sure they're kicking, I hope they're kicking themselves. But um, (laughs) all that mattered was one or two yeses. I may have missed this, but early on when you were pitching, you know, natals or what became ritual, what was the idea? I mean, like, what were you set out to make and what was different about your company than all the other vitamins out there? Yeah, in the beginning, 
I, I just thought the prenatal market was broken, really, that women deserved a more enjoyable, clean experience around the prenatal vitamin. But then when, you know, I hired scientists and we looked at multivitamins, which, you know, prenatals fall under, it, it was just, it was just shocking. Um, many contained a lot of nutrients, which we're getting from our diets. So the formulations um, weren't up to date. Um, they contain ingredients that I personally wouldn't want in or on my body. And um, and the experience was broken. So, you know, there was, it was impossible to find something that was delivered to your door that was convenient, that tasted great. Um, and then, you know, the, the traceability was something that eventually we, and I wouldn't say pioneered, but I would say like really leaned into. So we created the first visible supply chain of its kind. So you can literally see every nutrient, where it comes from in the world, why it's there on our site, the scientist, supplier, source, um, and just putting all of our cards on the table. And that was just really, really novel. But in the beginning, it was just a clean prenatal um, that tasted great. And so the vision transformed to, A, we're going to do, we're going to own traceability for nutrition and really change the way that people interact with the products they use every single day, starting with a vitamin and then go more broadly. We're going to build trust with our consumer um, through the multivitamin and eventually they'll trust us enough to buy a prenatal from us, but we're not going to be a prenatal mom, you know, a prenatal like motherhood brand. We're going to be a, a brand uh, that really champions traceability for, for everyone. And that's what we've done. And now we have one of the top selling prenatals in the U S because of yeah. that. Did you find that there was a big educational component to everything you're saying like did you have to do a lot of work on that front because vitamins are like you don't see the immediate benefits of it like when you're taking it you just understand what you're taking and and as long as you're fine and you're not like getting sicker uh hopefully it's doing better than you know good for you and not bad for you um right so it's like so it's like was there something more to it in terms of educating people on why they should you know, consume or, or buy ritual as opposed to whatever other vitamin brands were on the, on the market? Yeah, it, it, a lot of education. And for us, I think the tricky part was that we weren't different just in one way. I think a lot of companies have one way they're different. And then, you know, all the marketing is around that, like the traceable supply chain, which is our hero thing. Um, we really just started from scratch. We, we reformulated something. We looked at <clears throat> diets, genetics, lifestyle, um, and and so much data to to come up with our formulations. We then found nutrients from all over the world: omega threes from microalgae from British Columbia, D three from wild harvested lichen from the UK, um, K two MK seven from Norway, so on and so forth created an open supply chain and then encapsulated our products in a, 
um, our multivitamins in a delayed release capsule that bypasses the stomach gets released in the small intestine. <laughs> we did a clinical study with a major university on our first product. We just got USP certification on that um, non-GMO project verified certification. Um, and then we, and then also our products taste like fresh peppermint. Our mold, our prenatal tastes like citrus, um, and it's delivered to your door. So that's a lot. <laughs> There's a lot of education that goes into that. Um, and ultimately, you know, and, and I think it, it made it quite challenging for the team, but ultimately that's actually where I think the brand has shined, um, where this industry has just been really hard to, you know, you go to a store, you, you learn, you can't learn anything about a product. There's very little space, but with our brand, you can go as deep as you want. Um, we literally have interviews with every supplier of every nutrient on our, not every nutrient now because we've scaled, but there's interviews with most of the suppliers um, on our site. And you can see every supplier and go pretty deep, um, which I think that's kind of what technology allows you to do, right? It's like we, if you, if you're crazy obsessed, you can go as deep as you want around our products. And that's been, I think the, the beauty of what we've built, why, why we have, you know, experienced designers on our team, why we have engineers, why we have a full creative team. Um, but the way that you enter the brand is not overwhelming. It's not daunting. It's, it's really fresh and approachable. I really think that an important part of starting a business or when you start a business at least is understanding who your audience is and who you're catering your product, your service, or whatever else to, right? Like who's going to buy my product? Who's going to be the user of this thing? Um, and, you know, I'm curious when you were working on the beginning stages of what you were working on, um, did other people share this same problem that you pinpointed? Like, did people actually care about, you know, where their vitamins were coming from? Like, and I'm not, I'm just playing devil's advocate here because I'm really curious. Like, it's not <laughs> something that I've thought about until, you know, you're talking about, and I've obviously seen your product before, but it's not something that always comes to my mind for vitamins. It's something that perhaps comes to my mind when I'm eating food or I'm drinking a beverage or something in terms of, oh, like, where's this product from? Or, you know, the steak, like, you know, who, who, who hunted it right down. But <laughs> in terms of vitamins, it's just kind of like, I trust the brand that's out there, you know, like, and maybe I'm wrong to do so. But was that an uphill battle for you to kind of see who your customer was? And how did you go about that process? Yeah, I don't think our cust I don't think still people think it's a problem that they don't know that their where their vitamin D3 comes from, you know, I don't <laughs> I think that the, the bigger problem is you identified is really trust. And is there a brand that I really trust and identify with and that I connect with? And we created that brand. We created a brand that people trust and that they love. Our NPS is over 80. Um, and, you know, we, we're selling about a multivitamin every 16 seconds. <laughs> um, and that was really kind of, it was really the first time that um, a brand in our category started to have this kind of cult following. And there's something 
really intangible there. And, and it, it happened actually right from the beginning. We had product market fit right away. Um, so it wasn't really about, oh, is there the biggest problem for me is that I don't know where my omega-3s come from. No, it was really, is there a brand that I really trust and, and gets me and, and um, that I connect with? And is there, a, and, and kind of zooming out, I think the biggest the biggest challenge that we solve for that people are aware of is that intersection of effectiveness and, and transparency, traceability and, and clean. Like, is there something that works, but then is also good for me? Um, and I think we mm -hmm. see that a lot in, in, in the personal care space, but less, we, we talk about it less when it comes to something we're, we're putting in our bodies every day. Another interesting thing is like another interesting factor for me is like the convenience aspect and like the subscription model, which I don't know if when you had started besides like the Amazon subscribe and save feature and that kind of stuff would people have to like, you know, kind of go out of their way to do. Um, was there were there a lot of brands in the vitamin space that were operating that way? Because I know it makes a lot of business sense for, for you guys, especially because you know, predictable revenue and all that good stuff and you have recurring users and it makes a lot of sense for vitamins because if you're taking one a day for a multivitamin then i mean you're going to run out in perhaps in a month or two months or whatever the time frame is how many capsules you have so i guess how 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 what was the industry like from that perspective yeah it was entirely i mean it wasn't entirely retail but it was mostly retail uh, driven and the convenience of our product was huge. Um, if you know you're taking something every single day and it's essential, um, then you know the convenience of getting it in in the mail um, when you want it is really paramount. Um, it's actually why we invested in an engineering team and why we're a technology company, which I think kind of you would not know, but the ability to have this precise control over when you're getting something um, is something we've really invested in. And, and I like to joke and say that we're better than Amazon when it comes to daily kind of habit behavior, where with our product, you can snooze our, your subscription, you can rush it. Um, the experience around that is pleasant. There's articles and content. Um, around your health, there's a whole customer journey. We even built an um, Apple Watch app so you can better track your habit. So that was, there was nothing else that I remember that was like that at the time. I think we're, we're really kind of one of the first or maybe the first D2C, true like D2C brands um, in the category. I know there's been a few more companies that have come out in the space since. And I, I remember hearing about Ritual first. And to be completely honest, I don't even remember the other brands right now. Uh, I remembered it probably two years ago, but I don't remember it now. Um, why do you think that was? Was it, you know, did they just see the opportunity that you saw? Uh, or was it the fact that they saw Ritual succeeding and said, let's just jump into this space, right? What has that competition done for Ritual? Yeah, I mean, our competition is really kind of like major pharma. It's still in like really big players. But I think I, I, I definitely saw a rise of wellness companies. I still see a lot 
people reach out to me all the time asking um, if they could you know, pick my brain on things. Um, I think it's a combination of two things. One is that people are, care about their health more than ever right now. I mean, especially right now, but also then. Um, and this idea of, of ingesting vitamins and supplements and dabbling with your health has become a lot more interesting for people. Um, and then the second thing is I do think that people saw that we were succeeding and we were growing and they were like, hey, you know, I never thought that you could build a, a trusted brand in this category online and they did it. So, so we must be able to do it. Um, and I, and I think a lot of the brands that I've seen at least are kind of white labeling existing products or brands, but not necessarily creating anything kind of like fresh from the ground up, um, at least in our category. Um, and I'm, I'm excited to see what the future may hold. Um, but for us, I think that the hard, the, the biggest challenge was really building trust online in the prenatal space. Uh, you know, I, that was one of the hardest things I, I had a hard time raising money for in the beginning was, hey, you know, I, I need my recommendation from a doctor for my prenatal. I'm not going to trust an Instagram ad or an influencer for something like that. And it's been really yeah. incredible to see that we have now one of the top selling prenatals in the U.S. Um, we have a program with OBGYNs um, and people just love our product and, and trust it. You talk about big pharma and you sort of setting out to create uh, a whole vitamin brand from scratch. Like you said, you don't want to go the private label route and, you know, just sort of take someone else's formula and slap your name on it. You wanted to create something from scratch that you believed in and, and would, you know, be sustainable. And so, uh, you know, given the notion and something that like I've re come to realize is, you know, business ideas are pretty fleeting. You know, it's like you have a business idea and then, you know, you're super excited about it and then something just maybe like a week later clicks where you sort of perhaps do some research or actually dive in that you sort of get discouraged or maybe stop and you just like this never ending cycle. And, and it's, it's like, you know, the ones that actually pursue it are actually pretty rare. Um, to your point on, you know, I have a lot of ideas. He has a lot of ideas. You have a lot of ideas. So was there ever a moment in that early stage where maybe, you know, you know, you have this grand vision, you want to go set out to do it. And then you do some research or you kind of start getting the ball rolling where you felt like, oh shit, what am I doing with my life? Like, is this going to work the way I wanted to? Or like, do you have that fear at all? Or from the get go, you were like super confident that it was going to work. I, you know, it's interesting. I, I, I always had that fear. And when I saw and, and I, I actually went through multiple iterations of the brand direction. So I hired one agency to do the, the, the brand design. And it, it was very like, um, I don't know, very luxury. <laughs> it was not what Ritual is today. It was not accessible. Um, it kind of looked like Aesop, actually. But <laughs> yeah, I don't know how that yeah, how we ended up looking. Cool. Yeah, I love Aesop. But they... <laughs> They're, they're great and ritual should not be Aesop. Um, and so when I, when I saw that, I was like, oh, this is good, you know, but it looks very familiar. It doesn't look like its own brand. Um, and then I hired this incredible designer um, and creative director and 
she helped us bring our vision to life with the the bright yellow um, and the warm aesthetic. And it was just clean, scientific, accessible. And when I showed it to people, they were like, oh, I would, with the product, they were like, I would buy this in a heartbeat. And I never bought a multivitamin before. And it was similar to me. You know, I never bought vitamins before I got pregnant. Um, and now I would say more than half our team were never really vitamin takers. But there's something about the brand and seeing the brand brought to life that gave me this renewed confidence and, and lack of fear. I was like, everyone I know will will love this brand. Um, so I think design, design, visual language plays such a huge role in in that. And, and it's actually been something really interesting for me to see because I'd always been a creative through and through my whole life. I just never pursued careers in the creative role uh, world. But now I, I would say I'm an incredibly creatively led CEO. Yeah. And and I totally agree with you, but I'm curious what you think about like what, where's the most pivotal role the the design and the brand and the aesthetic plays? Is it like very early on just to sort of grab the attention and and get the customer to you know purchase your product or do you think it's something maybe not the brand specifically but I'm just talking about the aesthetic something that matters in the middle and later stages as well in that in that journey of cutting that um, customer business relationship journey it matters all the time and I think what a lot of founders get wrong is like they'll go to a, a agency or something and they'll pop out a beautiful brand. <laughs> But then they're not, they never keep up that, uh, not just the aesthetic, but they, they can't keep up that creative because they don't never end up hiring in-house creatives or they don't, they, they don't preserve that brand integrity for the long haul. Um, And it's easier now than ever to, to, there's so many amazing agencies and talented people that can pop out D2C brands. Um, but the integrity, the the mission, what you stand for actually helps drive the creative through and through long term. And I feel like that's kind of what what we had. Um, it was it was just very personal and it continues to be. It's my mission. Um, and it, and I think it inspires really creative people to continue to 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 build. Um, and I and I and and cre- and the the design for the brand can shift, but um, I think we we got really lucky because not lucky, but it was very intentional what we did, which was I knew that eventually we wanted to have products for the whole family, and I wanted the brand to be slightly androgynous, and you know if we created products for men as well, um, and so the brand has really scaled nicely as we've launched. Men, men's products, women's products, and we actually just launched kids um, a week ago. Awesome. And Kat, what's been the most challenging part of being a founder for you, right? Especially as the company has grown and, you know, you've grown and you've become busier with three kids and having to run a family and run a business and keep sane, right? Like what, what's been a challenge along the way or perhaps challenges that have been notable? Yeah, it's a good question because I am actually really loving it. Um, I always, you know, it's weird. I, I feel like if 
I got, if I had billions of dollars tomorrow, I would still be doing exactly what I'm doing in the same exact way. And I wouldn't change anything. Um, so the challenges, there's just challenges every day. I think the pandemic has accelerated growth for us as a business, but has also like accelerated my personal <laughs> challenges. And I think most um, parents' challenges. Um, so on the human right. level, it's just been, and I just, I just um, really re- released an interview with CNBC about it, where um, the pandemic's just had a profound impact on moms. Um, moms are just dropping out of the workforce at such greater levels. Like I, as as a CEO of a business that employs moms as well, I think just figuring out ways of keeping them. Um, you know, right now is, is, is challenging. And, and as a mom myself is something that I connect with greatly. So I think this has been an extremely difficult time where moms have to be, you know, caregivers, therapists, uh, workers, teachers, um, and all these things right now, it's, it's unprecedented. and, And the workload definitely falls falls emotional workload falls on moms you you mentioned uh, i just kind of sort of want to dive into your mindset here like you mentioned let's say you know you had a billion dollars today you would still be doing exactly what you're doing and and i just to kind of press on that a little bit um so uh you know as entrepreneurs i think that one of the things that makes you an entrepreneur is that uh you you sort of want to maximize it's this i don't know like so in like psychology, psychological terms, like there's maximizers and satisfizers and people that just sort of are always trying to level up in a way, whether it's through their life or just like level up other people's lives. So it's kind of, it's kind of linked, I think, to starting a business because otherwise you could just go work somewhere and live out your days, you know, just like satisfied, but you're just like trying to maximize, trying to maximize, trying to maximize. And so have you never felt like that feeling of like opportunity cost where it's like, you know, as good as things might be, like, could I be doing something better? Like the kind of grass is greener feeling. Is that something that you have felt, even though it might not be true? Or is it like, do you think that you just found something that you're so passionate about and um, to see yourself doing forever? Um, because there's, it's a big industry and a big problem that you haven't really thought about it. Yeah. Well, what's interesting with our brand and why I haven't thought about starting of course, I get new ideas every day, but I haven't left to start them. Um, <laughs> is that we're really changing the way that people interact with the products they use every single day? We're not just changing vitamins, but we have an opportunity to change everything in your house that you use every day and take it to the next level through traceability, through science, through better experience. Um, and I think you get, you know, once in a lifetime opportunity to, to, to build a business to the scale and then take it even, even bigger. And we're kind of at that point as a company, um, with hundreds of thousands of active subscribers. Um, I feel like we're just at the, at the surface of that, but the brand, the foundation, um, the way it clicks that connection, I think, um, is such a rare opportunity. Um, and I feel really lucky and excited about 
how much bigger it can get. I could go and start something tomorrow, but I don't know that it's going to click right away. Even though I'm very confident in myself, um, I'm yeah. excited. I'm excited even personally for the opportunity to build something really mass scale and, and, and make this brand into a household name. It sounds like you're trying to take on Amazon in the next like five to 10 years. Is that the goal? <laughs> no comment. Yeah. I mean, Amazon's an incredible company. Um, and no, I don't, I don't know that we're trying to take them on. I, I think we're just trying to build better, better products, um, better essentials, better, better things that people use every single day. Um, starting with the multivitamin and, and the vitamin for the whole family and going from there, I think that, you know, I, I would love to find it, you know, I would love to hear of an, another company that's doing something similar, but, but there, there has not been. And I think part of that is what we're doing is actually really, really hard. Um, it's really, really hard to build something from scratch in this space. And it's really, really hard um, to have all those pieces in place in a brand that people trust. And and is that because um, of, like, it sounds like it's not necessarily, or perhaps I'm wrong, but it's not necessarily the barriers to entry that make it hard, but more so what comes after. Is that right? Or is it, like, is it just like, just even that hard to break in besides just like building the brand out? Yeah, it's, it's. It's an interesting category. A lot of people don't know that the FDA actually regulates vitamins and supplements. And if you were to build a company, you know, to the scale of ours, it's um, this, the operating procedures, the scientists, the quality, the regulatory teams, all of the things that we have in place, um, you know, keep, keep me up at night, at night. <laughs> um, and to do things well to our standards um it's yeah. different it's it's very different than building a skincare company i imagine i don't know um it's different yeah. than, than building. I, always thought, though, I don't know why i thought this i mean maybe uh, maybe it's changed but um i always thought the fda didn't um like for example like workout supplements or things like that like even the pills that you could take i i, I did i thought that like they didn't regulate that is that not true they don't approve it's not FDA approved, but it's it's a regulated industry. It's regulated. Ah, I, yeah. see. I see. I see. Yeah, makes sense. Um, so so I guess you know, kind of in the last you know five years, like throughout your journey as an entrepreneur, um, obviously there are times I'm sure that, uh, like you said, you know, it's like an up and down journey. What do you do to stay inspired? Like, do you do you read a lot? Do you listen to podcasts? Like, what's your kind of, I guess, go to? Yeah, I mean, my life is really busy. I've had three kids since starting this company. <laughs> so um, for me, saying sane is, is A, spending time with them. They, they give me a lot of energy. They also use up a lot of my energy. <laughs> but um, for me, it's also finding time for myself and almost being like borderline aggressive <laughs> about that time and preserving it. So you know, after spending time with my kids in the morning, I need half an hour to an hour to myself where I'm a, have a consistent workout, B have a consistent breakfast um, or beverage and, 
and I'm drinking water throughout the day and, and these kind of more like foundational habitual health um, habits are, are what keep me sane. It's not, I'm not into trendy, you know, wellness things, even though I'm in the health category, I'm really about like drinking more water, moving at least 10,000 steps a day. Um, Mm -hmm. and having really great kind of like mental, mental health. Um, and I, and, and I think that's, it's, it is, it's about consistency. I think that, you know, there's so many waves with the entrepreneurial journey as well. So like having that consistency every single day is something that I can also just, um, rely on in some ways. Um, just to sort of wrap things up, I'm, I'm curious, you know, with, with where we're at now, especially, um, and how, how much things have changed within the industry, where do you see like this entire, not just vitamins, but like, this, like everything people consume when it comes to your health, I guess you could say vitamins, <laughs> what are, would, would be like in the next like 10, 15, 20 years? Like, what, do you think like there are going to be more brands that come out that are not big pharma, but they take on big pharma, just like ritual or, uh, even though that's sort of started already, like, do you think that's the long-term uh, trend or, or what's, what do you envision this playing out? How this plays I out? I think right now that the big trend is clean and better for you quotes products. And, um, but I think we've kind of gotten away from like the science and, and um, the proof and, the future to me is that intersection of clean products with science. Um, I think that that is actually really exciting. I think it's exciting to have clinical studies behind, um, you know, alternative ingredients or alternative products and actually investing in, in the research. A lot of times, you know, we, you know, we just released a postnatal vitamin for instance, and, there's just so little, um, so many little, so little studies and research on women post-birth. And I think the more, the more data, the more science and investment that we have in women's health, the more science and research, um, clinical studies that we have around alternative ingredients and alternative therapies. And we're starting to bring science and efficacy towards, um, towards products that, that are actually clean and, and health that, that it can have an impact. Right. That's what I get excited about. Yep. Well, I mean, this has been awesome. I mean, we, you know, given how busy you are, I know it's been a long time coming, so we appreciate you, you know, taking out the time and uh, squeezing in uh, this conversation in your day. And uh, it's been, I mean, just like hearing your story and kind of how this whole thing started and where it's going, it's, it's super interesting to both of us and I hope, I think, you know, the listeners would take a lot away from it too. And, um, yeah, we can't thank you enough. Thanks. Thank Scott. You guys. Thanks so much for making the time, even though it's been so challenging to coordinate. Absolutely.